You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Over the past few weeks on Into the Portal, we've been discussing the strange and frightening phenomena of people encountering massive, bipedal canines, creatures we can only describe as dogmen. But beyond the forests of Michigan, Alaska, and Wisconsin, reports of these enigmas existing in great numbers were at one time common throughout the ancient world. Tribes of dog-headed beings some of whom had technology of weapon-making, hide tanning, and other organized skills, who were said to live in the remote mountain ranges of India, or in some cases, unnamed islands of the Indies. Some of these accounts are oddly specific, while others are vague and straight-up strange. This week on Into the Portal, we discuss all matters of dogmen from the ancient past, transitions of mythology, and attempt to make sense of modern-day sightings and encounters with these bizarre creatures. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back with the final part of our Dogman series. Yeah, feels good to be back on the mic. It feels like it's been a minute, even though it's just mm-hmm. our regular schedule release. But with the holidays and everything being crazy, it feels like it's been a little while, I guess. Yeah, totally. Last time we were on here, we were talking with Adam Benedict uh, from the Pine Barrens Institute. That was a really fun little conversation. Yeah, definitely. Really eye-opening, hey, into like the whole like what it was like on the ground and this phenomena was kind of unfolding. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, over in his neck of the woods there, Wisconsin. The beast of brain. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about in this final part. Definitely. So this is part three. It's kind of sort of like a part four because we did a part one and a half. (laughs) And if you guys haven't uh, listened to the the other ones, I mean, go back, backtrack a little bit, listen to the last one with Adam and the Beast of Bray. But yeah, I mean, we're really excited to be back here. So like, Happy New Year, everyone. This is, Mm -hmm. uh, we have a tiny bit of housekeeping before we jump right into this final part where we're getting into all kinds of weird ancient stuff and trying to tie it all together. But first and foremost, we wanted to uh, say a big thank you and a big welcome uh, to Bailey from the Booze and Spirits podcast uh, for supporting us on Patreon. She joined us on there, and we were just so incredibly excited when we saw that. So thank you so much, Mm -hmm. Bailey. Thank you. And uh, so yeah, make sure you guys uh, go check us out on Patreon. It's just patreon.com slash forward slash into the portal. And then make sure you check out her show as well. So the Booze and Spirits podcast, one of our very own members of the Straight Up Strange podcast network and uh yeah you'll be able to find a link for her show and obviously the network in uh in the notes here on this episode so you guys can go check that out and then also we have rick 
Ricardo. What's up, Woo-hoo. buddy? Um, he joined us on Patreon as well. So thank you so, so thank much. Thank you, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's been a good a good month on Patreon, which is really nice. Yeah, we recognize, like, you know, like there's a lot of people that have stuck by us for a long time. And, yeah. you know, things change. And, and with the new year, a lot of people make resolutions, budget cuts, totally. all that kind of stuff. We so understand. We are really, really, for those who have had to step back for financial reasons, we totally understand. And for all of you that have managed to stay with us, thank you. Totally. We really appreciate that. Yeah. We recognize it. So, yeah. Absolutely. What else we got going on well, here? Well, another thing was we we haven't looked at them for a while, or we hadn't, I should say, looked at them for a while, but we had some new reviews. And so mm. just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have left us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. So we had some new, like, five-star ones lately, which was awesome. So I just wanted, we're not going to read them out. We had quite a few of them. You know who you are, and you know we really appreciate it. So thank you all so much. And yes. uh, for the rest of you, like, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Into the Portal. It really helps, whether it's Apple Podcasts or wherever. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We got some random, well, we got, you know, like people always reach out with like, you know, different diagnostics or analytics tools for your podcast or whatever. And this one guy, I can't remember what the platform was, but he had some rankings and we're apparently number 139 on history. It was a history podcast. And it was in, in some UK? weird, was it the UK? I think it was in the UK. Okay. Somewhere well, there like you go. That. We're in the top. 150. <laughs> there was another one too that was funny though. It was like Tonga or some weird place. We were like ranked in the top. Whatever. Really? It was something like that. I can't cool. remember. Anyway. Cool. But we appreciate all of you wherever you are in the world uh, mm. leaving a review. We Definitely. do have one other little tidbit here and it's not really a little tidbit because it's pretty friggin' sweet. Well, yeah, it's, it's not very much a tidbit. It's it's like a whole new, well, a whole new year, a whole new project. We've launched a brand new website. We've elevated our platform and we've added a few things. And so if you go to straightupstrange.com, you'll be able to check out our network lineup. We've added a couple new shows. Oh, yeah. We have also um, launched a new network brand called Be Strange. Yes. Be Strange Apparel. It's, um, it's clothing designed for all of your monster hunting adventures seeking treasures and all matters of high strangeness Mm -hmm. essentially yeah so we're rolling it out slowly and it's it's just limited edition pieces like and it's this awesome what we've chosen as our kind of like our centerpiece for this first launch Mm -hmm. is none other than doodle kev um, illustrations original design yes of the forest creature or yeah. yeti sasquatch whatever you want to call him right. the, he's he's epic and it's like this incredible pointillism highly detailed piece and we've actually we've obviously got our own piece we our own indeed. merch we're rocking over here of and course. we're loving it so make sure you go check it out because there's some cool stuff like baseball tees we got a baseball tee we've got crewnecks, a crewnecks and a, a beanie as a part of this first release and or it's two all if you're in canada two if you're in canada <laughs> it's all going to be um like amber said very limited release um because we want to just keep it like just really cool and exclusive. So. Oh, yeah. And one other thing, we're, we have a, a pretty fun... So we did a limited edition sticker as well uh-huh. with the same design. Yes. So we've got the, the vinyl sticker that's just the black and white. We're also going to have a holographic version. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's really cool. So stay tuned for that. They haven't quite arrived, so... Awesome. And just <laughs> so you guys know, like, all, every, everything we uh, make from all the proceeds of, like, this Be Strange project is going right back into the network Straight Up Strange mm-hmm. production so that we can, in this new year, hopefully start to roll out some really cool originals for you guys. Um, mm-hmm. Network originals and maybe even dabbling in some live radio. We'll see. Yeah, that'd be really fun. So, yeah, go check that out. It's on straightupstrange.com. Definitely. You ready okay. to jump into this stuff? Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> So we're going ancient, of course. It's kind of our, not our usual trajectory though, because we usually start with the ancient and work up to the modern. This time we did the inverse. We started very modern, 
the dogman phenomena, like, you know, what, what's really going on? And it was mostly concentrated in North America, mostly in the U.S., but we did see some examples from anywhere as far as, like, the Arctic, what am I trying to say? Alaska? Yes, Alaska. <laughs> there, was some, yeah. there was some Canadian ones we kind of loosely mentioned, right? Like mm-hmm. on the East Coast and moving up northward and that uh, on that side of the continent and things like that. Exactly. Seems to be pretty ubiquitous where, yes. wherever you go. But in the ancient world, we're coming into some very strange examples of things that could be could be related. Potentially. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels, uh, mostly in the description. So we're talking about dog-headed men, mm-hmm. creatures that were widely believed to exist and were spoken of, referred to mostly as the Sinocephaly. Yes. And this is a word that derives from the ancient Greek word, oh my gosh, which <laughs> yeah. it's it's spelled with a K. It's like kynocephalios, but... Kino- Kephalus? Yeah, Kino-kephalus. sorry about that, guys. I tried to get most of the pronunciations before we started yes. sat down, but this one I forgot. That's okay. <laughs> but anyways, it just means um, it's dog-headed, and it has so two parts to it here. We got the kuon, which is dog, and kephalos, which is head. Yes. Yes, very, very much so. And so we can also trace this back to the Latin versions of this right. form of the word. So sino, meaning dog, cephaly disease of the head. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So that ties into stuff that we'll get into in this episode too, because it's, yeah, potentially related to werewolves, related to Christian lore, related to all kinds of things. Like anthropy we're going to get into as well. So we, there is this connection to the idea of sickness or a condition of sorts, an ailment, something going on. These are very widespread references and there's lots of varying contexts as well. We're going to have a lot of references to some pretty famous historical figures in this episode, which is kind of interesting to me. And even King Arthur gets into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So this was just a little blurb here. Um, Supposedly him and his army, there's a story that goes that they actually defeated a band of dog headed soldiers in the mountains. Hmm. That's interesting because that's pretty far north. A lot of these things are going to be centered around North Africa and obviously the um, European continent as well. So the common belief, okay, a lot of people, if you talk about this in a mainstream context, a lot of people will tell you that these legends most likely originate in these ancient travelers' accounts of African baboons mistaken as men. So the kind of idea of like animalization of foreigners, of people that you don't understand, which can definitely explain a lot of this, but there's a lot of really, really weird accounts that don't make you think of baboons (laughs) in any way, shape, or form at all. Right. But I do see that, right? Because like a baboon, if you look at a baboon, it's pretty freaking crazy and it's got kind of a snout, right? And it obviously stands up on two legs and it's got a thicker, like, what am I trying to say? Like a mane kind of mm-hmm. thing going around the neck. Yeah. But definitely does not explain all of these dog-headed men accounts. No, and of course doesn't use uh, tools like like they are described as like the, do- the dog men would, you know, mm-hmm. with like knives and spears and hunting things and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, potentially even clothing and things like that. So they, yes. mm-hmm. it, it gets so much more elaborate. Exactly. And it's bizarre. Exactly. And so that's exactly what we're talking about here is essentially humans with the heads of a dog. So an amor, like uh, amalgamation of sorts, uh, yeah. a metamorphosis or a, a transition, transitionary figure kind of does remind me of uh, Anubis, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like the Egyptian, the mm-hmm. Egyptian god. And we're kind of going to reference ancient Egypt. We're going to ancient Greece. We're also going to Africa, medieval Europe. We're dabbling in Christian mythology as well. So that's where we kind of get into the history and the territory of the, the werewolf. Right. 
as kind of a more modern genesis of this. And, and if you can't tell already with like all the things that Amber said so far and that we've talked about in these first few parts, like this is a str- this phenomena of dogmen and dog-headed creatures is kind of a kind of a weird amalgamation of a lot of different things that gets broken down into semantics where we like we said off the top we're going to tie things back in or try to tie things back into the idea of like disease of the head but that's only one small aspect of all of this because mm-hmm. obviously there's very real in- sightings encounters attacks things that have happened over millennium now but we're going to start with ancient north africa and i have a quote i pulled here from an archaeologist named uh, Tertia Barnett. And she says this, she's speaking about Egypt and Libya and dog-headed carvings found in North Africa um, in reference to this quote here. So uh, we still don't know much about the people who created them. So they're, they're essentially, we talked about this in our Zerzura episode, but not specifically with dog-headed creatures. But you can find these pictographs, petroglyphs in different places in North Africa and all over the world, really. And we don't know exactly why, per se. Mm-hmm. We can trace things in and talk about Anubis and Egyptian mythology and lore and the gods, and there's more specific stories, and it's just pure mythology, and we, these, we could talk about that. These predate that. This, exactly. So this is in the deserts of western Libya, on the cliffs and boulders along the edge of a place called uh, Wadi Matandush. There are these rock carvings, so cut by a culture making the jump from hunter-gathering to nomadic pastoral farming around 4,000. So... These car- hmm. We've talked about lots of carvings like this before. They show animals in North Africa long before it became the, so the Sahara Desert that we know today. It was an oasis, yeah. right? That sounds like a pretty mainstream like timeline, too, that you're talking about. The yeah. hunter-gatherer to nomadic. Like Some people have stretched that timeline to be much further back. Oh, for sure. I'm just, this is just sort of general, but the mm-hmm. idea of it being obviously far predating the uh, the writings of Herodotus and some of these Greeks that we're going to get into for like ancient Sinocephaly right. sightings. And then, of course way before the Michigan Dogman and a Beast of Bray and like what the how could any of this possibly be connected mm-hmm. so these carvings show of course giraffes elephants accurately depicted right and we talked about this right, in the Zerzer right. episode they're very specific to what these creatures actually were when mm-hmm. they were there what is now the desert but one carving shows two dog-headed men dragging away the body of a rhinoceros or possibly using some sort of I mean mm. there's there's speculation that it's depicting uh, magic being used to control creatures or to move the creatures where they want to go. And it's this wadi, this one rock carving site featuring these dog-headed men that's sort of like, I don't even know, it, it makes people question, like, why? like, wh- And how does this potentially tie into, you know, mythology of North Africa much, much later, like thousands of years later? Mm-hmm. But it, again, it is just, you know, it's just, these are just cave artwork, right? So that's a big leap to say this was specifically drawing real dog-headed creatures, but Mm -hmm. it is accurately depicting animals too. So we can take this in many different ways. The sort of ancient alien idea of this is to take things very literally, right? Looking at cave art, looking at things and taking things directly. But even if you don't subscribe to that, you don't just jump zero to 11 like that. All myths are based in something. They drew that for a reason. And if it was before Anubis, ish depending on which or tribe you're talking an about an earlier this, version of or an that, earlier yeah. version of that god where did that originate from why did that stem it's it's it's, it's bizarre there's got to be a nugget somewhere it's got to be a nugget mm-hmm. and we get more of these sort of this breadcrumb trail of these possibly very real dog-headed men that appear in later writings of these greek historians so mm-hmm. whether or not i mean i don't even i love this stuff this is my bread and butter it is but and let's jump into that 400 
BC. Exactly. Yeah. So we're moving up slightly in this uh, geologic and anthropological timeline here. We're going to Greece. So this is actually (laughs) Theseus, Mm -hmm. ancient Greek physician. Mm -hmm. He wrote a very interesting and strange account of the Cynocephaly in the mountains of India. Right. This is a common theme that we're going to see in a few different writings is the idea that these creatures live in India, which to me, again, speaks to this idea of like, oh, yeah, very foreign territory for these people. Right. Are we, again, analyzing... the Near East, really, like just bizarre. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. But anyways, he did write this account. It comes from, <laughs> I love this part here, the mountains of India, which at the time was known as Indica... Mm, mm. Smoking that kush. Got good Hindu kush. Yes. But this account is extremely detailed, so... Some people argue that that makes it more fantastical. Other people, like, you know, it makes it more true for them and others less so. But let's look at this here. So he talks about how there was a tribe of people with a dog, (laughs) with the dogs of head, (laughs) with the heads of a dog. (laughs) And he described them as using barks and snarls as communication. They'd have like a range of pitches. So you can imagine howling and yelping and all sorts of stuff. Mm Interestingly, it was said that they could actually understand the language of humans to some extent. Kind of reminds me of your own dog, right? He learns commands. He, he, can, he can pick up on tone and inflection, right? right? And what you can kind of, you know, gather from that. Sure. Allegedly, this tribe living in the mountains of um, Indica <laughs> were said to subsist on raw meat. And to accommodate this, uh, they had teeth that were actually much longer than those of a dog. And they had nails that were long, sharp, and curved. So, okay, so kind of like gnarly like talons of, Yeah, like talons. That's kind of That's scary. werewolf territory. It is getting into werewolf territory. And they did live by hunting. They, well, this is kind of interesting. They did roast some of their kills in the sun. So they eat raw meat. They'd roast some of it. It's almost like drying it out, I would imagine. Hmm. Very primitive, but And they would raise, so they have animal husbandry as well. They could raise flocks of sheep and goats. Hmm. Wow. But they did eat fruit as well. So they weren't just carnivorous. They had this, the fruit of the Siptacora. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And they would trade it. They would trade it for bread, flour, cotton, but they also ate it, I'm imagining, too. Indeed. It reminds me of the vampires. I'm, I'm actually kind of just making that up. <laughs> but I'm assuming they would have eaten it. Presumably. Sure, why but not? obviously they were good at cultivating, which sounds super organized, and then they're trading for things that are like, sound like human so stuff. Swords, who, spears, bows. Who are they trading with then is my next question. Other know. Indian folk? Clear, yeah, in the area? Near, nearby tribes and things like that in the mountains. They were plentiful people though. Uh, in this account, it was described that there was over 120,000 of these things. Right. These people, these dog-headed people. So that's like the population of our city, essentially. Basically. That's a big city. It's I mean, well, it's not a big city, but it's a large. That's, uh, a, that's quite a big population. I'm curious as to how scattered, if they were concentrated in one sort of collective, you yeah. know what I mean? If, if they're in one region, the but mountains. I, yeah. I feel like there's, like, as we go along here, though, like, there's, obviously, we're talking about India. We're talking about that area of the East. But these... I think these sightings and encounters, although they sound like they're happening in the same place, like obviously these areas are massive. They are. And when we talk about Very the Marco remote. Polos and the and the Alexander the Greats and things as we mm-hmm. move along here, I think these are happening at different locations. Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. it's like, like you're asking that is an interesting question. Are were people encountering multiple tribes of what they were misidentifying as dogmen, or were mm-hmm. they encountering multiple tribes of 
what is now no longer existing, which mm. was actual tribes of dog-headed men, which is absolutely insane because the, the description continues and it gets even more specific. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially, I'm going to read this as a quote. So we, we pulled this from Mysterious Universe. You can find this anywhere. So this is, this is from the same physician and he just continues on here. They do not live in houses, but in caves. They set out for the chase with bows and spears, and they are very swift of foot. They pursue and soon overtake their quarry. The women have a bath once a month, and men do not have a bath at all, but wash their hands. (laughs) (laughs) They anoint themselves uh, three times a month with oil made from milk and wipe themselves with skins. The clothes of men and women alike are not skins, uh with hair on but skins tanned and very fine so that's like that's that's mm. a skill like, like tanning hides, right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah the richest of these creatures wear linen cloths but they are few in number they have no beds but sleep on leaves or grass who uh he who possesses the greatest number of sheep is considered to be the richest and so in regard uh to their other possessions all both men and women have tails above their hips like dogs but longer and more hairy they are just and live longer than any other men. 170, sometimes even 200 years. Crazy. So that's mm. obviously very specific yeah. and very strange. And if we're just going to pull the full out, like, early early history racist card, like, that's what's being described, obviously, right? Like a group, a tribe in in the mountains that has obviously very, very... Like, I guess in some aspects primitive, but obviously some pretty specific skills like tanning hides, mm-hmm. hunting, making clothes, doing these things. But then it's just like, how come these descriptions didn't get applied to like other strange people as well in other places? Like, how come there isn't dog men creature descriptions in like Papua New Guinea, right? Or other places where they could have described similar type yeah, it was mostly just like the generic term of like a savage kind of applied to Right, right. And obviously we can find that. And it, again, it breaks down to semantics where it's like mm-hmm. maybe I could be proven wrong in that regard. But from what we've looked at, like this is just overly specific. Why include the tail? Beyond Herodotus where it's like he says one thing that's completely crazy and then something else that's like makes a little bit of sense. This is like a guy who's clearly trying to document what he's seen. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hope. reading. That's yeah, right. exactly. Mm-hmm. The what's interesting though is he ended up talking about the savagery of these dog-headed men. So this is consistent in their descriptions throughout history. Okay, so like eating the raw meat or possibly even human flesh, and that's something that gets tacked on to these creatures as we move ahead here. That they are man eaters, and likewise, they are always considered to be, you know, close to th- the same intelligence as people. So like uh, simple. But, you know, capable of communicating in their own way and then still potentially being able to understand humans, like you mentioned before. Right. So just like an entirely different culture, but there are some some strands of like, you know, con- not connectivity, but like things that you can relate to. Exactly. There's hmm. more Greeks that end up talking about these creatures. So as we move forward here, we have uh, Megasthenes. <laughs> Megasthenes. <laughs> he was a Greek explorer. So this is the early fourth century you know, BC, and he spoke of a race of dog-headed humans in the same the same area, so the mountains of India. And likewise, they wore animal skins in his description. They lived in uh, mountainous areas that were extremely hard to reach, but in strategic areas so that uh, people weren't wouldn't find them, essentially. So narrow passes, you know, 
gullies and valleys in the mountains that were really hard to access. And they led a life of, again, he describes hunting, communicating through grunts, barks, and growls. And the philosopher Claudius Anelius later on wrote of the dog-headed men in India as well, but differently. He spoke of them as being peaceful people who ate sun-dried animal flesh and raised various livestock and goats, but didn't threaten man in any way. Hmm. Very different description. So and very different than what we've been dealing with in North America, right? The description of a wild dogman creature, savages, you know, we're not dabbling yet into the world of the Wisconsin dogman, the beast of Bray, mm-hmm. werewolf sightings. Seem more like scavengers than um, raising livestock, so to speak. Right. That's a very interesting part about that, though. There is, seems to be exactly that, another parallel between the idea that they, they are exhibiting very similar behaviors, yeah. which again... This was 4th century CE, so like common era. Oh, did I say BC? No, no, no. I was just curious. I just didn't say it. It said early 4th uh, century. Megasthenes is BC, and then uh, Claudius Anelius was common, oh, but I can, I see, I see. I can quickly reference Oh, I was just that curious because that's, like, that's very, very close to uh, the first description from the Greek, uh, the Greek physician. Anyways. Yeah, it's um, BC. Cool, cool. Right. So, of course, we have to talk about Herodotus. Of course. How could we not? We're talking about crazy animals and, and madness. He's always going to come up. And I'm pretty sure I almost remember reading this passage when we read this book in school because mm-hmm. it was just so brilliant and so outrageous. And it was just hilarious. And this is obviously from his histories. If I'm not mistaken, this is chapter four and verse 191. I have that off. Yeah, Anyways, but good. he goes off as follows here. And we're talking, so this is fifth century BCE. Yes. And Horati Dotty, he has to say here, for the eastern region of Libya, which the nomads inhabit, is low-lying and sandy as far as the Triton River, but the land west of this, where the farmers live, is exceedingly mountainous and wooded and full of wild beasts. In that country, there are huge snakes and the lions and the elephants and bears and asps, the horned asses, the cynocephaly, dog-headed, and the headless men, who have eyes in their chests, as the Libyans say, and the wild men and women, besides many other creatures, not fabulous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was freaky, man. The headless men that have eyes in their chests? Yeah. That's like almost like a Pan's Labyrinth. Thing. And if you, it definitely is. And if you are, are to Google just dog, ancient dogmen, you will find that um, there's a, there's an image, and if it's famous, I don't know where it's pulled from. I think it's got to be Greek, mm-hmm. where it shows a dog-headed creature, a man with a, the head in its his chest, and like another sort of strange humanoid Creepy figure man. that kind of like lumped the dogmen in with, with that. And so in, in a way, even though a lot of things Herodotus says, it's like maybe it was legit, he does it more of a disservice to the possibility of them being real mm-hmm. than his predecessors, I feel like. Yep. Oh, definitely. This is way more fantastical. Yeah. But that's his jam. That's just what he yeah. does. He, he definitely had his own, yeah, played by the beat of his own drum. Of course, this is in, <laughs> this is in the era before, like, you know, uh, I don't even know, like pop culture writing, I guess. Yellow right? journalism. Like this is, yeah, this is the, mm-hmm. his version of that potentially where it is embellished. It's not It's not yellow because it's not outright. It's just shades. It's fantastical. And then it's, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want to believe it though, right? Exactly. It's like, well, it's up to you how, how, how much fact you want to take from that and how much yeah. it is just storytelling and, you know. But then what's cool though is that we... You know, we continue to progress here, and then we have another extremely famous person mm-hmm. in Alexander the Great where it gets, again, more specific. Yeah. 
Yeah, so Alexander, during his time in India, while they're campaigning, he actually wrote to his tutor, Aristotle, and spoke of these dog-headed men. They were large and vicious, and they actually, yeah, so they were in a conquest against them. They actually ended up capturing a few of these dog-headed individuals, Mm. but we don't really know where they went, and there's no definitive end to them either. They weren't brought back. They were just, again, one of these, <clears throat> one of these phantasmal inklings of these supposed cynocephaly. Yeah, like what happened? And again, we're in that same area, right? Did they so die? the Indian subcontinent is where this encounter happened. So present mm-hmm. day Pakistan. And yeah, I mean, capturing one of these and who are you bringing it back to? I guess Aristotle. Well, you Aristotle to study. They had, um, yeah, quite a collection over there in the capital of like all sorts of amazing trophies, um, whatever, anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Lots of animals too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to just, just picture what that would have been like, right? Like, mm-hmm. a, like a, a collection of strange creatures in like a underground chamber in like, you know, ancient Greece. Or just in like a garden, BC. like, you know, you have like a giraffe and an elephant and a rhino. Well, that and like for all sure. But I'm picturing like, you know, the, the lindworm, the, uh, the dog man, they've got, a, they got a Sasquatch <laughs> the, down there. They got, uh, the they, found, they got man. one of everything. Yeah. The Tetzel man. <laughs> the Mongolian got, Deathworm. That's right. They got one of each. It's like a <laughs> like real each. Noah's Ark, except <laughs> everything you don't want idea. to survive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, Marco Polo gets into this too. We've got another famous reference and this comes from a travelogue written by Polo himself. And he was speaking of an unnamed island in the Indies. It said there is, okay, so this is how it goes here. There's a place where all the men of this island have heads like dogs and teeth and eyes like dogs. For I assure you that the whole aspect of their faces is that of big mastiffs. They are a very cruel race. Whenever they can get a hold of a man who is not one of their kind, they devour him. So to me, when I heard that, I was like, that actually reminds me of the type three dog man we discussed in part one. Right. And that was the one that had more of like a, a, a shorter, broader muzzle and snout. And it was built more like a Sasquatch is more like, like built, right. you know what I mean? Like muscular and yes. like not as dog like in right. certain features. I don't know. What do you make of that? I mean, again, like Marco Polo is one of those historical figures where He's not at the same level as Herodotus in terms of like writing fantastical things, but still mm-hmm. right there. And mm-hmm. it's such a, oh man, it's just like, if I had a superpower, it would be to not necessarily time travel. I don't want to literally go back, but just like in an ephemeral way, be a fly on the wall to see what people mm-hmm. were either misidentifying because they're seeing things they've never seen before. And yeah. they're really that far off, even though they are these intrepid travelers who have gone all over the world and like seen crazy things, but then still end up describing literal dog-headed creatures. I want to believe the Marco Polos of the world. So I don't, and I, hmm. but I do agree with you. You're, it is, it does sound similar to the, the more bulky, huskier Sasquatch-like. Yeah. A little bit more hardcore. Definitely not Wendigo-esque where we will dabble mm-hmm. in eventually where it's the more dog-like, gaunt, skinwalker type figures. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a different figure. Yeah, definitely. But that like, just going back to the point, like the type three versus the more traditional dogman, you remember that from part one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. For all of our listeners. Yeah. There was like two distinct types and this was actually from dogmanencounters.com. And he was discussing how uh, I was Vic, the host of that radio show. He's talking about how there's these two distinct types. One is a little more agile looking, a little bit leaner, trimmer. The other has, yeah, these more like stout, not gaunt, sorry. Um, 
just broad characteristics. Just different legs. Mm-hmm. Like just, yeah. Just, just oh, different and the legs. Yeah, that was another huge part of it too, is mm-hmm. the legs. Mm-hmm. Which obviously leads to different footprints being found and, and yeah. they're all, yeah, a lot of them have not been identified, right? Exactly. We talked about that in parts one and one one point five. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. go check those out. Go read The question <laughs> we're sort of left here with, I mean, many questions obviously, but after kind of just going through these ancient accounts, we're kind of left with this question of, you know, how does this tie into the modern world? How does this tie into the modern dogman? And are there sightings along the way to potentially bridge the gap? Like, that's the question I had, because we can't jump from a three, you know, Marco Polo to Michigan or Beast of Bray, right? Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't cross over. There's no lines to be drawn there unless there's more in between. So we kind of looked at that. There's some potential stories linked back to India and some early reports from, to the reports from the Greeks that we've mentioned of these creatures. But is it enough? For, for us to connect these ancient accounts. So let's let's talk about a few of them. I only have a couple. It's not in crazy detail. There was one interesting one that I pulled from 1878. Mm-hmm. So this is obviously way more modern, but this is British officials who recorded more than 600 deaths from very strange wolf attacks in the village of Uttar Pradesh. Now, there are stories of... Like, wolves do exist in India. They're rare. Mm-hmm. But there's are stories about extremely violent attacks. And the victims in this instance were mainly infants, newborn children, like, you know, the vulnerable. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Beast of Javadon. Oh, in that for regard, sure. Right? You could even imagine maybe if it's like a colonial situation, perhaps a like a, a general or something, he could have had his own menagerie over there and something right. escaped. Yeah, exactly. Potentially. Potentially. The thing about this is like half half the people sort of chalked it up to just this, like wild wolf attacks, mm-hmm. whereas other people were sort of feeling that this is something more paranormal. A similar type of incident did occur many, many years later when, to some, a pack of wolves, to others, a bloodthirsty pack of werewolves mm-hmm. uh, kidnapped and killed uh, toddlers, children, and sort of the weak in a very similar fashion. This was in 1996, and hmm. the villagers in this exact same area claimed that these predators were half-man, half-wolf creatures. So 96, you know, 1878, much more modern than what we've been talking about from these these quotes from Greek historians in India. But people are saying they're seeing half dog creatures in these attacks. Other reports that these wolf men actually had clothing with black oh, really? coats, Interesting. helmets, and weapons. I mean, helmets, that's something we hadn't heard yet, but definitely weapons. What? Helmets? Are these space wolves? <laughs> space wolves, maybe. <laughs> and, but apparently, after this 96 uh, report, there were several police investigations that followed up, but of course, nothing really came of this. There was no dog creatures found, so we don't really know exactly what people saw that day, even though bipedal dog enigmas seem to have been involved. Interesting. And this is in the same relative area as these ancient sightings. Obviously, that is like a fairly, I'm going to call myself out, like that is a fairly weak line to draw. But it's it's something there. It's in the Near East. Mm-hmm. And then we see a transition through Christian mythology into Europe and then into North America. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we're headed now. So we do have a bit of a gap in the timeline there. But that is really interesting, the, the specific description of these half not just a wolf, you know what I mean? Not just a, because that would definitely lend itself to a different kind of conversation that yeah, exactly. wouldn't really be associated with what we're trying to do here in this Dogman series. Well, and it's very similar to what people are seeing in, I guess, like, yeah, to the Michigan Dogman, to the Beast of Bray, mm-hmm. where the people there, the skeptics, are chalking it up to timber wolf, large timber wolf yeah, sightings, things wolves. like that. Mm-hmm. When people are clearly describing 
upright, nearly identical to what these people experienced and to what the Greek historians were describing as well. Yeah. In a lot of ways. The only thing we're not really seeing in these modern accounts, we're seeing just like not decontextualized, but just like random chance encounters. We're not seeing these people in their, you know, natural people, (laughs) you know, these dog headed people in their natural, like doing the behaviors that is described by the Greek historians. Like you go to the land of the dog headed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 it's these fleeting, almost interdimensional sightings now, Mm -hmm, which is, which is bizarre. That's a tough bridge the gap for us in this episode. but. But it is interesting to think of the idea of like, yeah, with the advent of Christianity and, um, some famous Christian theologians that kind of get into it too. Like, yeah, it, it's it is interesting. It exists in obviously Christian lore, and it morphed through from from Greek and all the translations from that into Latin and so on and so forth. And I wanted to reference the Noel Codex, which mm. was discovered in sort of two parts, and I believe it's the second war- one, the Noel Codex, like part two or whatever you want to call it, that contains like Beowulf, uh, that contained letters between Alexander the Great and Aristotle. And this is where there was a lot of descriptions of sort of like Herodotus, fantastical, crazy, strange things Mm -hmm. that people were taking as very literal at this time. So it also contained references, again, like to the Sinocephaly with portions referring to the Sinocephaly. And Christians were seriously debating the nature of dog-headed men. And in that breath, they were considered real, the nature of them. They were trying to decide who they were, what they were, and where they fell into the the categories of man. And during the 5th century AD, we've got St. Augustine of Hippo, love that name, and he spoke of them, talked about the Sinocephaly, and this is a quote from him. Wherefore, to conclude this question, cautiously and guardedly, either these things which have been told to some races have no existence at all, or, if they do exist, they are not human races, or... If they are human, they are descended from Adam. So you got one of three options. <laughs> he's, he's kind of like hedging his bets a little bit, right? Like he's, he's refusing to define them as being either human or animal, a question that still exists today, you know, mm-hmm. if we're to talk about whether interdimensional creatures or obviously or, if they even exist at all. Yeah. Whether, yeah, misidentified cryptozoology or, yeah, or, or just doesn't exist and people are seeing things that aren't really there. But the church seems to be having this this ongoing question and history with these creatures. So there's another story of St. Mercurius, who describes how uh, his grandfather had been killed and eaten by two dog-headed men, and then how the saint converted them to Christianity. And this was like their salvation. Hmm. And he was said to use them after they had been saved uh, as special weapons in, against enemies of Rome. <laughs> That's you know what amazing. I mean? So that, and, and, and then again, so like Special that. Special weapons for well, what? <laughs> for, as soldiers, I'm, I'm thinking, right? And He's that, a saint. Well, yeah. <laughs> bloody times, yeah. bloody times. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, well, the Vatican City's got a pretty gnarly, uh, like, assassin's force, I'm fairly sure. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the Pope. This reminds me of the movie because we totally binged John Wick all one, two, and three parts last night. <laughs> Don't tell the world that. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that. Canoe Reeves really pulled it off. Canoe. Oh, yeah. Canoe. Don't take the kayak. Take the canoe. <laughs> take the canoe. But that scene where in the third one where, uh, oh my gosh, what's her name? That uh, She's got the two dogs. Oh, Halle Berry. Badass Halle Berry, yeah. yeah she's still got it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Wow, they they, they were her special there. weapons. There, that's how you tied it in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Using, I, I gotcha. Dogs with special weapons. Okay. I like that. But mm-hmm. that sort of potentially ties into like ancient sightings and people saying like, hey, we saw these dog creatures with hel- helmets and spears and weapons and stuff. They can be trained as soldiers, presumably. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. 
Yeah. Um, but then like Augustine, just going back to the actual quote here, the mm-hmm. reference, like Augustine, St. Augustine, multiple other church members, they seem to, yeah, wrestle with this idea, debate back and forth with this idea, whether or not these dog-headed men were indeed descendants of Adam or not. Were they relatives of man? Mm-hmm. And this guy named Ratranmus, he wrote to the, uh, man, nice. these names, say, hey, to Rimbert. So it's, these are monks. Presbyter. Presbyter. You Presbyterian. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Um, <laughs> but he he wrote, uh, they, they corresponded back and forth in regards to the Sinocephaly. And in one of their letters, he talked, he decides that they are essentially, in his mind, degenerated human descendants of Adam. That they are essentially like, hmm. like mutated would be a the more fallen. modern sort of term. Almost like those giants are mentioned in the Bible, hey? They were like the... The fallen, yeah. The, the Nephilim, um, I don't even know. Yeah, what, were they, what were those called? Someone shout us out and, and tell us what those well, were Well, they called. were referenced in the movie Noah, right? Where they're like yeah. the stone oh, angels they were actually that are like brought cool. back. Mm-hmm. We never did end up covering that, did we? The fallen ones, no, because... Um, wasn't our favorite. Well, Anyways, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to mention before we kind of even go further with this whole Christian theologian and all this stuff, just a little tidbit. This was the era in which these very hardcore Christian theologians were debating many, many, many such things as how many angels can fit on the head of a pin. Right. <laughs> so this isn't like, <laughs> it's very hypothetical, a lot of these conversations, but I do understand the context and how... If they're talking about it, then there is some form of legitimacy in the eyes of the church. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. very interesting, to say the least. Yeah. But again, very fantastical. It is, and we love the fantastical. I have a little bit more here, just uh, with the correspondence between uh, Rathanimus and Rimbert. And <laughs> Why am I laughing <laughs> doesn't that just sound Rimbert? like characters from like Sesame Street or something? Kind of does, yeah. Anyway, maybe like the Russian Sesame Rathanimus, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in response to the actual query, the original letter from Rathanimus on the Sinocephaly, what you should believe about the Sinocephaly, essentially, was the uh, the title of this letter. Hmm. He spoke of the capacity of the dog heads, though, to make laws, to practice agriculture, to cover their privates. This hmm. is an actual quote. And this is evidence in his mind that they were indeed the sons of Adam, rational beings with minds and souls that were capable of salvation. I just find the fact that this is a debate at all extremely fascinating. Yeah. In 825 AD. It's considered a race. Right. Which is interesting uh, to me. It doesn't, uh, it's not as if like these are others, right? They're entirely other beings, but in the same sense, they exist almost in a parallel. It's not as if yes. these are things that reside within the society. It's right. not like these are afflicted individuals is kind of the sense that I'm getting. Until right? we start dabbling in werewolf territory. Mm-hmm, where right. it starts to become yeah, an actual condition, an illness, something that you've transformed into. Right. And then we get into these sort of um, aligning it with the devil, like a pact with the devil in a lot of cases. Which is so ironic, though, because mm-hmm. in... In, in such a positive way, there were direct depictions in Christian symbology that linked these very strange, bizarre race of dog-headed creature to everyday life in Christianity. So, for example, like in the East, Eastern Orthodox Church, they viewed St. Christopher as having the head of a dog, and it's depicted in all kinds of like stained glass mm-hmm. windows and different iconography and things like that. And this may have been a result of like misinterpretation of the word um, canius, mm. so like into canine, and then later... Uh, there was a German bishop and poet, Walter of Speyer, who wrote of St. Christopher as a large sinocephalic figure. So, like, depicted as this 
dog wow. creature, but in like almost, not in a negative almost way. Almost like Anubis again. That's a positive right? light. Well, God of the underworld or or the keeper of the underworld. Yeah, or the gatekeeper. I can't remember which one he is. Anubis. Oh gosh, he Thoth, is, I thought he... was the gate. Oh right, yeah, and he Anubis reads out the final. Whatever, is involved as well mm-hmm. in the underworld. I can't remember exactly. He's there. He's doing stuff. Right. But then <laughs> he's out. there. He's doing, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> have a smoke, have a drink, chilling out. Uh, this is where we're making this transition, though, into werewolf territory. So we're, we've we've gone from ancient Greece. We've gone through into like old world Christian lore and these like debates back and forth. But then this obviously mm-hmm. just spread out into Anglo-Saxon England, mm-hmm. where it became even more vague. There was references to... Uh, wolf's heford or wolf's head, a, a description given uh, to essentially, you know, like uh, criminals or people who were not, didn't fit in with society. And hmm. that's breaking it down to semantics. Okay. Not literal werewolves so or very, people transitioning into sinocephalic figures. Very dog headed. But. You're dog headed individual. You're, you're doggedly. You're. I guess. An outcast. You don't hear that as like a reference now, though, as like an old world saying, like, ah, you're being really dog. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're a real yeah. dog head because you like stole something, right? Like, it doesn't hmm. make a whole lot of sense to me I've in that I've never regard. heard that before. But all. it does, you can, you can see where the werewolf angle comes in in modern Western Europe here. Yes. From dogmen to werewolves, the Christian context helps us along here. And from the Middle Ages onward, there were many, many cases of these supposed werewolf beings and many of these were in the context of relations of hell the devil uh there's two sides to this kind of it's the idea of werewolves as we know them were actually entirely created out of older pagan folklore that was then mixed and melded with christianity and became kind of a new version right or the idea that the old way of knowing so the pagan way of knowing right something that could be referred to as a dogman or something else could slowly sort of transform into this kind of werewolf connotation as well. Well, I think... Because of the Christian lens. Right, but it's also the question of whether or not it's developed purely as folklore because of this transition, because of all the stories, and then melding with Christian folklore and developed into the werewolf as pure folklore. Or there's very real things that have been happening for centuries... And now it's being viewed through the lens of modern Christianity as it's evolved in Western Europe as werewolves, people transitioning and changing as an illness mm-hmm. rather than just a race of sinocephalic figures from India. It's kind of a leap a little bit, right? This idea of like there being othered races, other t- whole colonies of people versus like, you know what I mean? Like this sort of transitory disease, like, you know, transformation kind of thing. Right. But again... We like to make leaps, <laughs> but you, you actually wrote this here. So yeah. I don't know if you can actually speak to it better than I can right now. Well, I, I just kind of said the way I'd, like, that's, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you're, there's two sides of the coin. You either believe in these things or you don't. You either think they exist in one way, shape or form it's almost like, or you don't. And it's like stingy Jack, right? Where it's like, is there actually something in the woods right. or is there just these gases? And it's kind of a cautionary tale where right. it's like, don't and do I guess this my because... Qu- I guess, I guess another way to phrase this is like, my question would be, you know, if, if the context existed with all this Christian, all the tropes, all the, the lens of Christianity back when people s- claimed they were in the mountains of India, seeing people in their, these dog headed creatures in their natural environment, just living, would they ascribe the same werewolf moniker like it's different it's changed over the Mm -hmm. millennium right and Mm -hmm. that's all i'm saying with that like with with christianity it's changed it's like but are we dealing with the same thing is it a real thing 
that's just being looked at through a different lens. Mm -hmm. I struggle with it a little bit just because of the idea, like I said, right? The idea of a whole like social, societal, like cultural blueprint and, and, you know, construction that these people live under versus it almost like coming out from within, you know, like an individual, like where it becomes the sickness. But again, right, going way, way, way back to the whole original descriptions of the actual definition of the word itself, sickness right. in the head. Well, let's Anyways. keep going here. Let's break it down. The whole idea is like dogman, werewolf. Can we make some kind of connection here leading out of the classical era into sort of the medieval era where we see a lot more of these examples? This is where, okay, let's just get into some basic, not definitions, but basic, I don't know, ways of becoming a werewolf. Criteria? Sure. Transformation? But there are several ways that a person can supposedly be transformed into a werewolf. And I was actually kind of surprised by a lot of these. This comes from uh, folklorist Carol Rose, and she actually wrote a book. It's called Giants, Monsters, and Dragons. This is a quote from her. She said, in ancient Greece, it was believed that a person could be transformed. So we're going back to ancient Greece. Could be transformed by eating the meat of a wolf that had been mixed with the flesh of a human, and that this condition was actually irreversible. There are other methods, though, as well, including being cursed. So again, that's a very negative, that's, that's veering into witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting. Eating certain herbs, being conceived under a new moon, sleeping under a full moon. So we already are getting references to that, right? right. Which the is lunar cycle. Exactly, and- which becomes very important. Possibly on a Friday, which could be a connection. The, these, this is probably the weirdest one for me. The idea that um, you could drink water that's been touched by a wolf. And that would transform you into like a, a special wolf, though, I guess. A special, yeah, a special wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, some sort of a, yeah, what that means exactly is vague and you can leave that open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Whatever you guys think. Also, this interesting idea of like having a wolf skin. I've heard references to wolf skins, um, kind of similar to the ideas of like the tanned hides. Mm-hmm. Also references to belts, like you don this belt and you kind of transform into this thing. Interesting. Yeah. Like and, separate objects that mm-hmm. allow you to transform. That's exactly. unique. That's and then different. for me, I was like, wait a second here. Where does this whole age old adage of the whole, like, you know, you get bit by the wolf or scratched by the wolf and you become the wolf kind mm-hmm. of thing. That is pretty predominant in like Hollywood and pop cultural and stuff. And it does exist as like another sort of way that you can transform as well. So there's lots going on here. <laughs> it's not just <laughs> Hollywood balderdash, which I put in, in, Question mark and exclamation mark. <laughs> I love that word, balderdash. Balderdash. Yeah. It's a pretty fun game. <laughs> it is. Super fun game. <laughs> so that's kind of an interesting little like foray into the whole werewolves. Because that was one of my big questions when we started looking at the more modern phenomena related to North America. The idea of the Michigan dogmen, the idea of Wisconsin, the Beast of Bray Road. Are these things that are existing all the time? Are they transformative characters? We're going to get into the idea of... Uh, even more like, you know, a Native American. Like we've mentioned uh, mm-hmm. quite a few times throughout the series, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. The Skinwalker, no, sure. even like the Wendigo having effect on people, cursing exactly. people, all that kind exactly. of stuff. Before we dive into that, though, we've got a fun little example from the 1500s. And this might possibly be the first case of clinical, uh, what's it called? Lycanthropy. Uh, lycanthropy yeah. yeah. And this is the case of uh, Peter Stump. <laughs> Peter. Peter Stubb. 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 Stump. Stump. Yep. He's he a was German a German fellow. father. Father. <laughs> he, a German father. I hope not a father. That would be awful. Uh, Holy moly. Imagine maybe. that out. If he was a farmer, he's probably a father. It's a good chance. But he was accused of werewolfery, witchcraft, cannibalism, 
and he was actually known as a werewolf. The werewolf of Bedburg. That's right. Which is kind of a story for a different day, but this could be quite possibly the first modern case of clinical lycanthropy, which is the idea that you believe you are delusional and you believe that you are transforming into an animal. Right. It doesn't have to be a wolf necessarily, but we'll get into that in a second here. So let's kind of like tie things in. I think we're, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We talk about ancient Greece, we're talking about these dogmen existing in tribes in India We've, uh, we need to tie this into like the modern day sightings, I think. Eh? Definitely. And just to add to what you just said there with this, the brief reference just to, to Peter Stubb, Stubb, Stumpf, he, there were people in that story that claimed to see him transform. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the Greek translation, the idea of sickness of the head, you know, sick in the head is in like, you're a psychopath. You believe you're something, right? Or you're, 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 you believe you're a werewolf mm-hmm. or ties to something from the ancient past and there are this is obviously straight paranormal this is craziness but if you believe werewolves are real and if they are potentially connected to the cynocephaly or some sort of ancient dog-headed creatures that i don't even know i'm I'm hesitant to use the words like ancestors or like dna still being involved or something but it's like this is their remnants this Mm. is them left over right they found a way to stay that's interesting that you mentioned dna genetics because a lot of people do talk about that and a a lot of it bleeds into fiction obviously but like even on the wiki fandom page for werewolves it talks about how you can actually like a lot of cases of werewolves um, transforming or people transforming into werewolves i should say um, occur in the adolescent range of 11 to 17 because you're going through all these hormonal changes and you can actually activate um, dna like genetics that Right. lead you into these uh, werewolf-like states, <laughs> if Crazy. you want to believe that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is actually a very interesting little hub there. Right. There was another thing, too, that before we actually get into these modern, modern sightings, this was like mid-modern, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. It was either 16 or 1700s, and it was over in France, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. We, I couldn't pull this up again. It was like one of those remnants where you're like, I, out of all the stupid, like, you know, unexplained mysteries with like William Shatner and all these kind of different series that we've seen over the past little few weeks, there was one mention of a guy. He was a, in his late teens to early 20s in France, somewhere in that right. rough date range. Right. And he was responsible for maiming and murdering a bunch of people in his yeah. village. And he was under the impression that he was a werewolf. Right. And, and claimed mm-hmm. it till the day he died. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. He was imprisoned and, and then eventually, yeah, he died at a young age, but very I wonder crazy. if anyone claimed to see him transform, literally transform. I wonder, because I think he would actually wear, like, wolf's, um, like... like To look like a... Yeah, yeah exactly. Almost like, like a shaman the, garb mm-hmm. yeah. kind of thing going on. Exactly. Very, mm-hmm. very strange. Mm-hmm. As we transition here, I keep... I feel like that transition is, like, the word of the episode as we're just, like, <laughs> going through all these, like, this... Because it's a vast swath of time, mm-hmm. right? Like, from going way back into, like, the ancient Greek stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I pulled this quote. It's from... Scott Wells, who writes for uh, a bunch of different stuff. I pulled this from academia.edu. He does folkloric studies and things like that. But I just thought this was a really good transition. There you go. There's that word again. So here it goes. Uh, It's intriguing to note that the description of them, meaning the, the cynocephaly dog creatures, remains consistent across the centuries and through many cultures. This creates a unique, unvaried picture that doesn't seem to exist with similar mythical entities. You, I mean, there's... Some could argue that, but I get mm-hmm. what he's saying, right? Yeah. He continues on here. The Sinocephaly were savage warriors, carnivores, if not outright cannibalistic, as referenced in many stories. They stood upright. They were capable of using weapons. 
uh, indicating possibly having an opposable mm-hmm. thumb, so much more human-like and some sort of a weird hybrid, right? They dressed in animal skins. They sp- uh, spoke their own barking language, but could understood human speech, like we've talked about. They had claws on their hands and feet, had tails, and lived in mountain caves, or more rarely cities in northern India and North Africa, 120,000 in population, like mm-hmm. was described. They had shaggy mane-like hair around their head and shoulders, and eyes seemed to glow, common with... That is, a, that is a similarity with the North American sightings, right? The mm-hmm. glowing eyes. Yep. They found their food through hunting. Taken as a whole, this description matches the modern ones given by witnesses to the dogman or werewolf cryptid-like phenomena in North America. While it's impossible to know for certain if they are related, they seem at least physically identical or similar to tales of the Sinocephaly. It is, at the very least, food for thought and helps to develop a possible historical connection. End quote. Very cool. That does very succinctly tie in a lot of these concepts that I am struggling to tie in and and speak to eloquently today. Sorry, guys. When we started this dog man series, okay, guys, we started doing the research and it was just going to be one episode. We were going to do one episode, maybe two. We ended up talking about the films and stuff. And Mm -hmm. here we are in technically the fourth one there. And there's more rabbit holes to go down. Mm -hmm. So this has been a crazy, this has been crazy. This is actually really cool. Before we go over, like, make the jump back to North America, there was one from Germany, and this is very recent. It's the 1970s. Okay, here we go. So less than 50 years ago. And this was Western Germany. This links a dogman-like creature to these other reports on the continents around, like, you know, like the Indian subcontinent, African, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this actually comes from a guy, it was a Week and Weird article that uh, we're referencing here. Nice. And the guy, the German fellow that wrote in to describe his encounter, he describes himself as a German army brat. So I'm kind of assuming that's the son of a, a German like army officer. I don't officer even know. I've, I've heard that reference before, but I actually don't know. I don't know. But apparently at the time he was living uh, near a station in the forest of Wildflecken. He was about 12 at the time of his encounter. The story goes that him and a friend were camping and they had just settled down for the evening. It was about 9 p.m. at night. They built a fire when their encounter occurred. So essentially what they had, they, they, they basically stumbled upon, well, they didn't stumble upon, the wolf creature stumbled upon them, the dogman-like mm. thing. And it was kind of brief. He described it as a very tall creature on two legs, which looked a bit like a German shepherd. So the more dog leg, not like the Sasquatch like creature that was like the type three that was described in dog yeah, encounters. Yeah, yeah. But essentially he stepped out of the foliage and it was described as six or seven feet tall. He distinctly remembers tall ears, a long snout, heavy shoulders, long tail, and bent dog legs. It's very muscular in build and had a thick upper body and a narrow lower body. Um, It was colored the exact same as a German shepherd. And it was said to step over the fire between the two of them and then bolted. It was gone in a quick second. Extremely fast. Hmm. So this is a really interesting little bit here. So this individual actually claimed that he believes this creature might be related to an ancient agrarian cult of farmland protectors. Mm-hmm. So this is like late Middle Ages, like 16th century, kind of petered out by the 16th century kind of thing. And this was a cult known as the Good Walkers or the Benandanti Werewolves. And they believed themselves to actually be transforming, transformative figures 
that didn't actually like transform their bodies, but they left their bodies in the night and they would assume other forms in order to protect the farmland and the, the pastoral areas that they lived in right. against encroachment by like malevolent spirits and different threats. These like witches of the plain as they describe them. So cool. Very, very cool. And so these Good walkers were often conceived of as half-human, half-animal creatures, many times dogs or wolves. The weirdest part is that they're actually generally doers of good. Interesting. So they would lift curses, they would heal the sick, they would ward off these evil witches as they were known or spirits or whatever. Right. The so, Benedanti werewolf. The Benedanti. And I just put this little thing in here. I was like, almost like the Mother Teresa's of the paranormal. Yeah. <laughs> To an extent. <laughs> yeah. So like I already mentioned off the top here, these figures were not set to transform, but they left their form behind and assumed others, which really reminded me of the guy in uh, Game of Thrones, the little kid who, when he goes oh, to sleep yeah, at night, yeah. he goes into his own dire the wolf. wolf. That's mm-hmm. right. So I was like, well, that's a cool parallel right there, but obviously yeah. totally fictional, but <laughs> again, kind of speaks to the concept. Right. One of the coolest parts about this too, for me, was the idea that these spirits, these beings, these... uh werewolves actually traveled to the underworld to defeat these evil spirits and witches unfortunately due to the unpopularity of like witchcraft and magic in this time the cult died out in the 1600s after kind of being brought under scrutiny by the inquisition and they were found guilty of witchcraft of course even though they weren't really doing anything wrong they were trying to help and the irony being that you know 800 years earlier or even a little earlier than that the Christian theologians were discussing the existence and debate of mm-hmm. similar the creatures man. that these people claim to believe or transform into that were not seen as like inherently negative and were sons of Adam. Mm-hmm. So all it takes Bizarre. is 800 years and then those ideas are toasty <laughs> creams. <Kicked> out. <laughs> but uh, that is really interesting. Though. I love that tidbit. And I just like the connection too, because for me, these Benandanti werewolves provide an interesting contrast to that of the North American skinwalker phenomena. And so these skinwalkers, and also you can talk about the Wendigo in this scenario as yes. well. Yeah. So both of these are very like negatively kind of described things, like phenomena. Like the skinwalker is basically this cursed, malevolent shapeshifter. They're never, the term is never applied to like healers or witch doctors that do good. Right. It's a term of condemnation. Yes. Like you're, you've, you've got some powerful, powerful, um, magic i guess that you can wield and mislead and possess individuals you're a trickster a manipulator in many ways and yeah. frightening to a lot of people that encounter them if you've ever read hunt for the skinwalker you might be more familiar it's right. kind of one of the more mainstream examples i guess but the wendigo i thought was another very um interesting thing to compare to yeah definitely just because it is another not a benevolent spirit at all another malevolent one lurks in the countries and forests corrupts the spirits of men yeah, like anyone who comes across it, essentially, women, children are very susceptible. It is another trickster, too. It can, like, right. like we already talked about in our go back and listen to our Wendigo episode. But uh, this was really cool, too. I just had a recap here. And it talks about how, yeah, like I said before, like it has the ability to transform men, women, and children into a terrifying cannibalistic creature with a heart of ice. So the cannibalism part of it really speaks to. Again, werewolves, ripping apart the flesh of your victims, all this kind of stuff. And the cynocephaly for the cannibalistic descriptions, I guess. Mm -hmm. I love this description here of like the actual creature of the Wendigo. I don't know if you wanted to read that or or just even, I don't know. Yeah, I'll read it. Uh, This is from an Ojibwe teacher, um, Basil Johnston. 
and we referenced him in the last in our Wendigo episode. Yeah, go listen to it. But the Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against its skin. Its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave, with lips. Uh, what lips it had were tattered and bloody unclean uh, and suffering from separations of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. Spooky. Very spooky. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. And, and of course the description too of the Wendigo was like in a lot of, it is similar to like the dog men, but also with like antlers, different type faces, obviously yes, different legs. Physicality is different. In, in some sightings if you will Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely some crossover shape-shifting you know the skinwalker is closer in that sense of the term but i don't know i thought it was kind of interesting i was like can we draw parallels or contrasts or connections to these concepts of the wendigo the skinwalker and the dogmen and my kind of question was like are dogmen like the cursed souls of these people that have encountered these spirits and basically succumb to their evil will there you go. There was a really weird, not weird, but it was just kind of like this interesting uh, account from a Swedish blogger. And she had an encounter with an indigenous elder in the outskirts of Southern Ontario. And he kind of spoke further to this and the idea of like the wolfman as like the watcher. Interesting. So yeah, this was okay. her blog is called The Cloaked Hedgehog. And she primarily focuses on dogmen or werewolves, but she's investigated many um, paranormal related fields. And essentially, yeah, she doesn't really take anything as etched in stone or absolute truth, which I always like, you know, the grain of salt. So this was from her Native Lore and Dogman blog post. She says here, as some of you may know, I was out doing some bush camping on the weekend. As I was in southern Ontario and quite near an Indian reservation and needed fuel, I stopped on the way home at a native-owned gas bar. I've known the owner um, and operator of the gas bar for a few years now, and he knows I'm an outdoors person, and, and he knows of some of my adventures. He jokes sometimes that I could have, I should have been a native. <laughs> so as I trust him and he had some time, I told him about the podcast I did on Dogman Encounters. So she's a podcaster too. What? what? Mm-hmm. Anyways, so he got animated, as she says, and asked if... I could hang around for a while. Eventually, he invited her over to his home for coffee when his shift finished. So when they got there, he introduced her to his father, who was about 70 years old. And he was, quote, a weathered-looking, strongly Native face and a typically Mohawk Native American, or sorry, Native mannerism about him. Okay. Stoicism and stalwart. Hmm. Okay. Stalewart. Hey, I'm, I'm not really familiar with that word. <laughs> so she sat down with him and had some coffee with him. And she kind of told him of her dogman encounter. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she had a personal encounter. So essentially he sat and listened to her for quite a while. And then after a few minutes, he went into the house and returned with some homegrown tobacco and a small smooth stone with a wolf figure on it, along with some sweet grass. Then he started talking and talked for about two hours and he described the Wendigo and he described how it's a native spirit creature that's cannibalistic and also a trickster. It's like we already kind of outlined above. Then, quote, he talked about the wolf people. He told me that when one enters the wilds, they should do it with respect for everything around them. You should not enter the bush thinking you know everything. You should never challenge nature because nature cannot be challenged. And then he went on to say that wolf people show themselves to people in two ways. The watcher is the first way. 
when one sees a watcher, they can expect to feel scrutinized and a sense of unease. If a watcher interacts with you, it may be a trickster, and items may go missing from your camp. It may spring out at you, scare you, or follow you. Mm. Yeah. Then they actually went and did an offering with the tobacco and the sweet grass. And then essentially he went on to say that the watcher will not hurt you unless you try to hurt it. Then he said, if you are angry, vengeful, or of ill intentions, you may meet the other kind. Hmm, it's not the watcher. Right. And if you do something contrary to nature, you may attract it. And he told her of people that were angry that have disappeared and never seen again. So he said, he concluded the conversation by saying, if you enter the wilds with respect, you will return home with a scent of peace. But if you return, or sorry, if you enter with ill intentions, anger, or without respect for nature, you may not return at all. Very So my question is like, okay, so maybe, maybe these people do return, but they return different and they're unrecognizable to their peers, to their family, to the people that once knew them. (laughs) And they are these creatures that we're seeing. And I kind of like thought about it some more after I read that, because I've read this several times. The idea of the watcher, what does that remind you of? Like that brings me right back to part one of our series. When I described that encounter by a person, they were returning home from work. It was like late at night and they were coming into their apartment Mm -hmm. and they saw something watching them from the tree line. And then it emerged slowly and it was this dog creature and slowly came up to the glass and just looked into the person's home. Yeah like through the looking glass. It's like totally like Alice in Wonderland, right? You know what yeah. I mean? And that was the same for a whole bunch of the accounts. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the Adam Davis and his wife, um, mm-hmm. where he, he was in the cornfield and it just, it was staring at him and there was two of them that he could hear, but mm-hmm. these aren't attacks. No. They're watching. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, Sasquatch kind of falls into that camp too, in a lot of ways, right? It's often watching people and not attacking mm-hmm. people. And so you go eight Canyon stories and things like that. Yeah. It's kind of a similar presence. Very interesting. I know. I like that a lot. Thanks, Cloaked Hedgehog. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, we're kind of coming down to the end of the episode here. We're going to try to break down some some theories and, and context for everything we've talked about this entire time. There's a lot. There's a on. lot. We're not going to like go point by point and break it down or anything like that. <laughs> We'd be but, here all night. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, part five, six, and seven coming your way soon. But basically... The idea, going back to the ancient stuff, we mentioned it off the top, misidentified baboons. Okay, let's just start. We're we're going into theories here. Mm -hmm. So misidentified baboons for these ancient accounts is kind of like the most likely explanation. And, you know, there's actually in modern French, un sino cephal, I think it's pronounced almost the same or spelled Mm -hmm. almost the same. It actually translates to baboon. Really? Which is interesting. And I did that on Google Translate just to make sure, and it did. So that was kind of strange. Hmm. And it, it does make sense, right? Like you're seeing things you're not used to. You're going to ascribe racist mm-hmm. messages because yeah. you're a superior race in your mind that's traversed great distances to see things that no one else in the Greek world or whatever world had seen. Mm-hmm. And this is how you're going to describe it. It makes you sound a lot more hardcore. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah. right? mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. But but do you really think that that's the only explanation? No. I feel like these people must have been seeing something, you know? I just, I, I baboon is kind of confusing to me too. Like I kind of did defend it off the top of this episode saying like, oh, you know, like it's walks on two legs, got that thick, like bushy, like kind of like mane thing going on, mm-hmm. but not very dog-like. Like right. sure, it's got huge teeth, but yeah. not very dog-like, you know? No, true. Like why would you go there? 
these these uh, modern sort of yeah no I hear you these modern translations though do lend to the idea like there's another one uh, Papio sinocephalus is the scientific name for the East Africa yellow baboon oh. okay so yeah while another species is officially designated as Anubis baboon what so yeah no way Anubis that's hilarious strange right and this is of course what Pliny the Endless elder Herodotus rivals. talked about um, mm-hmm. yeah so kind of kind of odd but you I know, mean, if you look at a baboon too, I'm looking at this yellow baboon right now. The it kind of has like a bear-like snout. You it does, I mean? yeah, almost more like a wahila-like. If yeah. we're talking more wolf, especially at certain creature. angles versus others, you know, you're what I mean? literally like, moving your head right now and trying to show the angles. It's very effective <laughs> for an audio so, podcast. So effective. Yeah. <laughs> but it does kind of like you could definitely chalk up a few of those. Yeah. For sure. So that so there's that. So there's that. I mean, you guys can take that as you will. I think they were probably seeing some other stuff too that, I mean, yeah, we just can't explain now. It's long gone, but it maybe wasn't just baboons. I have some like other, sorry, I'm just starting to yawn. <laughs> nice. Sorry, Amber. guys. Real sorry, nice. Guys. It was one of those things that just came out. <laughs> Got a ham in the oven. <laughs> oh, Anyways, but I, yeah, just on that note, when you're like, making more fantastical claims if you're trying to bolster your legitimacy and your hardcoreness like you kind of said like and the subsequent animalization of indigenous groups right like this happened all over the place and like sometimes it was more just generic term of savage there's a lot more descriptors as well that we'll not really get into Mm -hmm. per se but the idea that a large percentage of these cases could just be racist and derogatory descriptions of foreigners with strange customs and dress um, the idea that something is just so foreign looking that they describe it with pure animalistic terms, negating the entire human side of what they've witnessed. <laughs> right. Like even traditional headdresses, right? Like some cultures, ceremonial costumes, war dress. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, yeah. I'm even just, you know, I don't know why Ace Ventura just popped in my head. <laughs> There's <laughs> some crazy stuff out there. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's crazy, but I'm saying it looks insane to someone that is familiar it before, with it. Yeah, of course. exactly. But then there's the the parts of the descriptions we talked about that aren't visual. They're not specific in terms of like how they look. They talked about being alive for, you know, living 170 or more years, possibly even 200 years. Mm-hmm. And so I added this little note in here because we were trying to tie in the links between the ancient stuff, where the development of werewolves. But in these early descriptions, they're said to have, like I said, like 170 years. So like, could that potentially tie in to the idea uh, of modern sort of not modern, but Western European werewolf sightings? Like these things can live for a really long time. Therefore, they're clearly not man. Like they may be descendants of Adam if we're going back to the Christian stuff, but they have Mm -hmm. something special about them. They're supernatural in in a way. They Mm -hmm. live way longer than humans do. And so DNA the bite of a werewolf, mm. right? Like the continued sightings and, and and people experiencing these creatures in Western Europe under the Christian lens, through the Christian lens. Does that potentially tie into the fact that these ones could live for so long? Okay. I'm just throwing that out there. Just because it's, it's, it it's, it's just fun to think of. Honestly, I don't have much of an answer for you. But, but obviously, okay, this idea rel- relies on the belief that the dog man and dog man creatures are a part of, you know, shape-shifting, if you will. They're not necessarily strictly like in the indigenous sense, like skinwalkers, but, you know, like the idea of being able to change, going from human to werewolf. They're not entirely human. They're not entirely wolf. They're something in between. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're related to the sinocephaly. I guess so. Well, right. with the whole Benandantine, 
Benedetti werewolves like that again kind of is another reiteration of that too right right and the whole thing with such a long period of time like maybe it's just like they're only they, they come back every now and again the Benedetti or things like them right oh like the gosh. fact that they're seen so infrequently what if what's his name who's that guy that like lived forever he's like 600 years old <laughs> oh, oh like the good luck man uh yeah oh what was that guy's name the alchemy Li-Ching man Yun? No, 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 not no, the good uh, luck man. Not the good luck man. Um, the guy from uh, medieval court and not Paracelsus. Oh, not Paracelsus. Um, oh, I'm blinking. Oh, 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 uh, the Count of Saint Germain. The Count of Saint Germain. Mm, maybe it, he was werewolf. <laughs> well, maybe he harvested some cyanocephaly juice and he was <laughs> sipping it over the years. You can take a little. It's like a five hour energy, it's except a, you can. It's a five hundred year energy. Die, it's a five hundred year <laughs> life bottle. Okay, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, okay. That's a, that's an interesting little foray. <laughs> yes. So what about the idea that, can we get into like clinical lycanthropy for a sec here? Because sure. this is, again, kind of a real thing. And it goes back to very, the ancient interpretation or translations, or I should say, of this being an affliction. The idea of like cyanoencephaly is like a disease of the head. So are we talking about something that's physical or psychological in nature? And can we, can we connect us to the, yeah, the modern dogman? Is this something that, you know, yeah. is kind of taking a next level? Like what, I if, feel like what if someone is literally under this sort of like umbrella where they are mentally ill and they've dressed up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Amber, people are seeing things that are like eight feet tall, like multiples, you know, different locations. Like, I guess, right. Like you could chalk that up for I guess. a few things, Maybe, but, but here, but going there's someone along, that puts a TV on their head and goes around and just puts TVs on people's porches. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of crazy <laughs> shit in this no, world. <laughs> for sure. But, but the people, but the other, you have to get people to believe you though. Like, and for all the people to see it and believe it is when they're hunters and avid outdoorsmen mm-hmm. or this, that, and the other thing. But what you're saying, believability though, is kind of the inverse of what I'm yeah. talking about with clinical because you're literally delusional. No, but that's when, yeah, but the people witnessing it wouldn't be delusional. So like what you're, yeah. so what you're describing so is like the inverse. So it's like, yeah. it's not lycanthropy. It's kind of like a mass hysteria type thing. The dog man stories come out in these places. These people don't yeah. believe they're werewolves, but it's like almost a reverse version. They believe they're seeing dog men mm-hmm. potentially. That's kind of, yeah, exactly. Is that so what you're Yes. So let's just talk about lycanthropy in general. Like exactly like I said, you are delusional. It's the delusion of an individual perceiving themselves to be transforming into an animal. So in this sense, the transformation is only in the mind and subsequent behaviors of that individual. It's not in their physiology. So if you are exactly that, we would have to apply mass hysteria to this. If we are actually going to use this as an explanation, because applied to the ancient examples of societies of dogmen, this is very unlikely because it depends on a number of factors, including the delusion of the witnesses, not the dogmen themselves. Right. Mass disease of whole groups of people. So, Hmm. you know what I mean? Like, that's another factor. This is a very rare condition. It's very individualistic, like clinical lycanthropy that does not come in masses at all. And there's actually, this is kind of an interesting side fact here. Since the 1850s, there's only been actually 13 reported cases of these clinical lycanthropies where they actually think they're transforming into a werewolf. Right. There have been other reports of delusions of people transforming into other animals, including snakes, frogs, and dogs. Ah. Yeah. A little so more specific. Dog man. Yeah. So I don't really think this is an applicable example for a lot of what we've talked about, but I, I think it is worthy just to mention it because it is definitely 
relevant. <laughs> no, it definitely is. And you're right. There are people out there doing this. I, you're right. You're hundred percent people dressing up or trying to do whatever, you know, we watched, we were watching that dark tourist mm, series on Netflix mm-hmm. and he was chatting with some vampires in yep. California. And like the guy legitimately thought he was a vampire and was licking the blood off some dude's back. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, you're not. Um, but sure. You are not going to live to be a thousand years old. You no. will age and die. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're have gray hair exactly um, like, and you're doing this in your, in your personal bathroom that and you is can see yourself in the mirror and everything nice. else and whatever um so yeah people people can go real far with mm-hmm. what they believe but the people witnessing it same thing we come back to every time the Mass sasquatch hysteria? sightings the, yeah. it, it can't be though because it's in all these different mm-hmm. locations yeah and some of them are small populations some are large populations some come right after a dogman sighting so you could chalk it up to that some don't you know there are people who hadn't even read about it or heard about it necessarily mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And so my final thoughts on this to try to make it sound just concise and just sort of, mm-hmm. I mean, this is sort of where I'm at. The dog man phenomena, the sightings in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Alaska, throughout North America, and the alleged ones in the ancient world are a mix of different phenomena in my mind. This is mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. So in the context of North America, I think that, I'm a more I'm a more staunch believer in Sasquatch um, than as a cryptozoological phenomena than the Dogman as an individual unique species. I think there's been more evidence for Sa- for Sasquatch existing, and so I think Sasquatch sightings get conflated with Dogman sightings. We talked about that a little bit with Adam. Mm-hmm. There's a, like for example, there's a lot of videos online. I was looking at one today that was like Dogman in Texas, and I'm watching it classic shaky grainy video it stands up bipedally and it's like every single video that says hey look i have a video of a sasquatch right Mm -hmm. it's just it's like a it's a dark figure standing on two legs there's nothing to indicate that it's a dog man at all right it's like you could easily just change the title and say sasquatch on video and so i think like a lot of that's being mistaken for other creatures that's increasing this perception of dog man numbers or Mm -hmm. dog man encounters lots of videos that look the same lots of tracks that are you know, like, you know, they, they, they're unidentified, but they're still just like large wolf-like tracks, most likely, right? The other part of this is like possibly a genuine cryptid of this world, but never seen or caught. It's just like a mutated wolf. It's like a gnarlier wolf. But when we end up finding, you know, the classic thing, we never find a skeleton of a Sasquatch. Well, if it's just like a really crazy timber wolf, mute, like something that is believable but still uncommon if we're going to find bones or remnants of this no one's going to chalk it up to a dogman cryptozoological phenomena it's going to be like abnormal bear mm-hmm. abnormal wolf mm-hmm. something that's strange but it's not a clear skeleton that's like 50 50 human and dog yeah. well depending you know I mean? on the age of the skeleton too you know true that's a factor the other third part that i always have to go to is that these creatures are real but they're of course not of our world Perhaps they once were a part of our world in greater numbers, as described in ancient times, and they have since found somewhere to hide, somewhere else to be, and obviously do not exist in the same structures they once did, organized with clothes and weapons, but they are still seen. They're seen by us. They're seen at certain times in certain places, and they watch us. And there's that, it's not an explanation, yeah. but it's just, no. it, 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 it is happening. Yeah. It's happening. There are things going on in this world. And yeah, it is easy to conflate a lot of stuff. I have to agree with a lot of what you said. I don't have any conclusions myself. Like I just, this has been a lot of weirdness and a lot of it is 
Exactly that. It's unexplainable. I think, I mean, to give people the ultimate kind of cherry on top, I should just straight up ask you after all of this, do you, would you be looking over your shoulder twice for a dogman in, in the woods of Wisconsin or Michigan? Like, do you, do you think, regardless probably, of what you can designate it as. I'd be looking as, for a lot of other things first. Regardless probably. of what you can designate it as, all, the, all we've talked about, like, do you think this exists? I have no answer in that regard. I think it is a possibility that it exists in the minds of people that have witnessed it, whether or not they've seen. Oh, yeah, thumbs down. <laughs> Boo. Oh, yeah, I don't like my answer, hey? Well, I'll throw it right back at you. Yeah, I think they do. I, I, I fully believe that people are seeing something real. And yeah, you've already given your conclusion. Dogman exists, <laughs> man. Dogman exists. And you can go on about this for hours and hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why we do a podcast. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Dogman exists. I'm saying it, but I have no proof. For me, I do lend, I lean, sorry, more towards the idea that these are more spiritual creatures, that they are meant to interact with certain individuals at certain times, and other times it is less so or less intentional seeming like even the one that. that um adam brought up when we talked to him about the hospital road and bray road like right. that encounter with the woman that hit it with her car right. and it was angry it was almost like this weird chance kind of like it wasn't intentional on anyone's part but, but it just happened so right. for me i kind of lend myself to thinking more along those lines and then also perhaps whether yeah these are almost like damned creatures you know yeah. to a certain degree Right. Thinking back to the idea of the 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 unearthly howl, like you know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah, that half human, half almost like scream, it's, half yeah, howl. Mm-hmm. There's screams, agonizing or yeah. something, kind of thing. Yeah, there is elements of that for sure. Mm-hmm. Wow. But overall, it's one big enigma. Yeah, one big quagmire of weirdness. So <laughs> we don't know what you guys think, though. So we're gonna post on our Facebook and. We'll uh, be around in our little network forum. So, yeah. yeah like Hit we, us up on there for sure. Let's get the debate going. Yes. Mm. Dogman debate. Let us know what you think. <laughs> so follow us on, uh, yeah, hit us up on, on Facebook if you don't already. And uh, Instagram at Into the Portal Podcast on Twitter at Into the Portal One. We're on there. Uh, all, our network's on there as well. Come mm-hmm. follow Strange Pods at Strange Pods on Instagram. We're posting all kinds of cool stuff and lots coming down the pipe. And make sure you check out our new release of Be Strange, straight up strange. Be strange. Dot com. Yeah, straightupstrange.com. Uh, mm-hmm. so what did I just say? <laughs> did I say be strange? I think you said be strange. <laughs> Straightupstrange.com. <laughs> be strange. And uh, we probably will have its own website eventually. But um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this mm-hmm. one. And until next time on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.